Why did you wake me? Survival, Captain. Plain and simple. Hey, hey, talent. You don't know who I am. It's a me, Mario. I need a weapon. Heavy machine. Alright, what's up everyone? This is Kangnam Gamers, and I am Diso. And I'm Wilfred. And today is Wilfred's last day. Yes, my last day. Yes, Wilfred is moving on to Canada, to the, the greater lands, shores of Canada. The home great of... home of homo milk and moose and beavers. It's not home of the braver. Home of the brave? I mean, that's America, but like home of the what? What is Canada? What are Canadians? What are Canadians? Yeah. I mean, America is the land of the free, home of the brave. Canada is. I think brave for like sticking it with the cold weather. Okay, that's a, that's I just, respect that. It's yeah. fucking cold there, right? Yeah. Have you ever uh, seen that that video of a, of how Canadian is born, and it's just like a, a frozen lake, and then it breaks from underneath, and then there's a guy. He's like only in his underwear, hmm. and he comes out with a hockey stick and a toque, and he skates away. No, I didn't see that, but that yeah. sounds very Canadian. Yeah, that's ultra Canadian. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, so Wolfred's been doing stuff for Gangnam Gamers and everything for a long time. And I just thought we could take today to kind of like... Wolfred's been in Korea now for like what? Uh, this is officially my 10th year. Yeah, so 10 years in Korea and like he's a, a, man, a man of many talents. I uh, started off started off doing what? I started off here teaching English. Okay, so he started off as an English teacher. He spent some time at Nexon as a character designer. He was a caricature artist. He was a fucking comedian. Like, he's... What have you not done is the question, right? Yeah. I haven't done archery. Archery. So, drone racing. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> we got another fellow, Marcus, who's uh, who's covered those grounds as well. So I think just today, I, um, I mean, obviously, we can talk about gaming and stuff like that. But, sure, you yeah. know, we can do that in this podcast. We can always do that in other podcasts. But... I'm more interested about you. Okay. You know? So, like, tell us about, you know, you're leaving Korea. It's not even just you're leaving Gangnam Gamers or you're just leaving a company or anything like that. You're leaving a country and you're about to go off into a whole new world. So, before we talk about the brave unknowns about what Canada is, tell me about, you know, what is Korea to you? What is Korea to me? Fucking deep, yo. I totally yeah, just ambush, ambushing him with these questions. <laughs> Ready, set, go. <laughs> Korea is uh, so just so you know we are in Korea uh, yeah so uh, yeah that's kind of what the Gangnam Gamers thing is about we're Hence gamers. Gangnam Gamers yeah we're Gangnam we're gamers we live in Gangnam or around Gangnam and uh, yeah I think Korea is, is really everything that I found a lot about myself for sure I mean the original intention to coming here was to just find more about that cultural side of myself because um, I was born in Canada but my mom she's from Ecuador my daddy's from Korea uh, when we were growing up we mostly talked in English but I knew more of the Spanish side because of my mom and I've been to Ecuador a few times I took Spanish lessons but in terms of Korean culture I didn't really know a lot only only when my dad was mad, you know, like you always learn the swear words first. Your dad's Korean. Yeah. Okay. He's Korean. So he would beat you like a Korean dad. Mm, no, my mom would beat me like a Korean dad. <laughs> no. So okay, wait, so your, your mom was Hispanic, right? Yeah. So she's Latina, I guess. Yeah. So what I've been I'm hearing American. is that like Latina moms are scary as fuck. You know, there's there's a no difference between ajumas and Korean and and uh, Spanish moms. Okay. Just so you know, ajumas means uh, Korean. 
women of middle age. And yeah. uh, there's something that actually happens in Korea that a lot of you might not be aware of. Um, is that these uh, beautiful Korean women, you see them in their 20s, early 30s. They're very life, slender, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Around 40, they, metamorphos- they metamorphosize into this kind of stocky, low center of gravity, unmovable forces. They start perming their hair very curly-ish, and they're just extremely frightening beings. Yeah. I usually say that usually what happens is that uh, for a Korean guy, it's very scary because at one point in your life, you're married to this beautiful Korean girl, and then one day you just wake up, and then you see that you're sleeping next to Kim Jong-un, and it's really scary. So you just married yourself to the dictator, and then everything, your life is in a personal... And you're about to get your ass whooped on. Um, And you're saying that the, the Latina mom is not actually very different from this... In terms of uh, pushing your your children to work really hard and uh, kind of like the chansori thing, chansori is kind of like nagging, scolding, scolding that right. kind of stuff. Pretty much the same. Like when I was growing up, my mom she would push me to do everything, like go to piano lessons, swimming, you know, all these major extracurricular activities and stuff. Did she throw things at you? No, like she would have like a belt. A belt. Yeah. Cool. So anyway, so you were tired of getting beat up by your Spanish side, and so you wanted to go explore your Korean side. Yeah, so they could beat me. <laughs> <laughs> so you came to Korea when? Ah, uh, 19... No, 2006? Okay. Yeah, so 2006. Right now it's 2016, 2006. Um, you are currently 33 years yeah. old right yeah. so you came around when you were 20, 23 yeah i'm i'm 33 now so korean age i'm 65 <laughs> which is really good huh. I've, I've seen everything i've seen a and an, i've actually uh this year was interesting because i've seen the end of the era for a lot of places that i used to hang out in like in noksa pyong or itaewon what tell us about these places to the audience that don't know well for people not familiar like uh in noksa pyong that was Taiwan, that was like the first place I ever lived in Korea. Mm. And it was shady as fuck mm. in the beginning. So um, Taiwan is kind of like the hot spot for foreigners in Seoul. Like, um, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, like this is one area of Seoul that you go to where you'll see more foreigners than Koreans pretty mm-hmm. much, right? Yeah. And Nuksapyeong is right next to that. Right? Yeah, it's just like you just keep them walking up this small hill along uh, Itaewon and you'll go up to Nilsipyong. It's, so it's connected to each other. These are two kind of foreigner-based communities within Seoul. Seoul has 10 million people, but within Itaewon, you've got a nice little... I guess it's kind of like like Chinatown in San Francisco or something, right? Like you have all this kind of... You have this... Isol- not easily, but you have this unique locale where everyone is like super Asian or Chinese or something. I guess that's the Chinatown for Chinese people. Right. go there. Right, right. That's their and Chinatown. So Itaewon is like the white black non-korean person town within seoul it's yeah it's like legit multi-ethnic yeah multicultural yeah and right now it's beautiful like uh you go to itaewon now which i don't go very often but some of our younger you know Mm -hmm. members of our team or whatever they go and they hang out there's like nice bars with like foreign not foreign but like imported beer and like potato wedges and a lot of different uh foods of different cultures and stuff right but it's beautiful now if you go there but when wolfric first came 2006 you were saying it was it was pretty like it was hard to invite a korean friend over because they would be legitimately scared (coughs) to go there Hmm. because it was very rough around the edges i used to live beside this bar called tony's bar Hmm. and he just opened up when i kind of when i started moving there and uh at night, I would hear people fighting and people crying. And uh, there used to be this guy who was, uh, I used to say, he was actually literally a panty thief at the time. 
there was a guy who was wanted for going to people's washing machines and like taking out their stuff because certain places you don't have a washing machine inside your apartment mm. it's just like right in the front door and then mm. he would just take your clothes and stuff you had to be super careful but um like Hebong Chung I this is I'm not sh- I can't verify this but I heard you know there's Itaewon Nokseopyeong and then past Nokseopyeong there's Hebong Chung and that all those three areas or districts if you will there are mostly you know, lived in by foreigners or expats. Mm-hmm. It's a low cost of living there. Mm-hmm. And the houses are the closest you can find to that are not necessarily apartments. They kind of feel like houses in a way. And I heard that a long time ago that a lot of uh, North Korean refugees uh, moved into that area. Mm. And because of that, there wasn't a lot of Koreans, South Koreans rather, who were interested in living those conditions and stuff. And it wasn't until, you know, you start to see expats moving in there because of low cost of living and just the fact that Itaewon became what it is that they started to find, you know, uh, businesses to make over there. Right. And at the time, there was no Bonnie's. You know, Bonnie's is a really popular pizza place in Nooksepyeong for whatever reason. Or there was no churros lines over there. There was mm. nothing. But after the 10 years, like, um, I'm surprised how often I just see uh, just Korean people actually just legitimately casually safely walking around and just enjoying it so. enjoying the culture so you're saying yeah. now that like you've kind of seen like the rise of this expat community within Seoul in in Taiwan and the surrounding areas and you're also seeing some of it die off and what you mean by die off it's not necessarily the aggregate expat community but you're talking about these specific locations that may have been pioneers or may have been you know, like watering points in the in, mm-hmm. in the past. Yeah, I mean, it was just a great place to see like real multiculturalism, and especially yeah, even in the arts now. It's, so, it's getting more tell different. me about some of these places. Like you used to visit a lot, and they're kind of like you know dying down or dying off or something. Some pla- well, I mean, Tony's like he just recently closed down his bar. Uh, I think last week. Mm. So we had like a, a final day where we're just doing. Uh, all the comedians who went there from the beginning, we just had like stories reminiscing what it was like the first time. Because at the time, uh, when I first came there, there was not really much of a st- stand-up uh, community in Korea. So we're talking about it. stand-up comedy, comedy. Yeah, which so is another thing that Wolford is part of. Yeah, so in the likes of like, you know, Louis C.K. or Bill Burr or any of these comedians, you know, they just stand up <laughs> and, and say comedy compared to... Korean comedy was is mostly you know uh, slapstick, slapstick s- skits, something something more along those lines. With someone just standing up and just you know talking. Yeah, shit, right? which also hasn't officially been in Korea yet for on the comedian uh, on the Korean community side. I see. Like you have not seen any stand up comedy, but uh, I think it'd be a really good opportunity to do that. Maybe after this whole Park Geun Hye thing starts to windle down there'll be more people more open and brave to just kind of be alone there with a mic and just kind of say jokes that can make people laugh but kind of make them feel like oh shit did he really say that kind of a thing so right now we've kind of transitioned from talking about like you know your favorite hangout points which are kind of dying off yeah is it not like, not all of them, but th- there were some key points that really helped made a big difference in the expat community there okay right it's Tony's what else what are some other ones Oh, um, well, there was <laughs> any place that had open mic, there was uh, like a Yuki's. So there's like this strong correlation between these these kind of cultural points and also their their tendency to have stand-up comic routines or stand-up comedy. Yeah, routines. I mean, there was places f- for stand-up comedy or open mic where people would want to 
sing songs or rap or you know do like poetry def jam kind yeah. of stuff so you would see a huge mixture of that and some p- places they just kind of died off and then you would always see the expat community just adapting from another place to another place mm. so it used to be mostly in Itaewon and then it kind of moved to Nyokseopyeong mm. but these days you see a lot more of that going on in Hebongcheong mm. so Hebongcheong is kind of like the new area for expats to do more mm. creative expressions on a regular basis so I guess what you're kind of saying here is that there's a correlation between having like this um there's kind of like this correlation between having a, a between creative expression and expat community bonding and gathering. Yeah. I see. Yeah, and why do you think that is? I mean, that's one of the things you have left when you don't want to just hang out and just drink the, your weekend away. Right. You know, like... Uh, or teach English, right? Te- I mean, you're, you're teaching English anyways, but there are some people... It, you really can judge... I don't, I don't want to say judge, but for lack of a better term, you really can see a person's character by what they do on their free time. Mm. And uh, I've seen a lot of um, great uh, expats who come and gone. Some are still here. Some have left to do other great things. And even though they're teaching on the full time, they would still consider themselves as either being of a filmmaker or a singer and then from that point on when I first met them to now I think most of them have been doing really well so I think the interesting part about this conversation is that like you know um, you have in Korea a very work driven culture but then most of the expats that are here in Korea are doing work that they're not interested in I mean there are people who are very passionate about being teachers right and you you have to respect that as a profession and that, that's a career choice they've made sure but there are a whole bunch of expats who have just kind of come to Korea for whatever reason but not necessarily to do their job their mm-hmm. job is just uh, like kind of like an avenue for them to go and experience Korean culture mm-hmm. but as they're experience experiencing Korean culture Korean culture what is Korean culture mostly these days it's mostly just about drinking and like getting drunker and like doing things like that but then mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Uh, there's like no kind of like expression or outlet for you guys to express your your creative abilities and so yeah. instead of like kind of trying to fit into the Korean creative community you guys have kind of created your own yeah I mean it's there's some places that have a bridge where it's accessible for both people but there are certain places where it's Clearly, you know, mostly expats go to these particular avenues and stuff. Hongdae is like it has its own thing as well. Right. It's like especially for young Korean creatives, it's really really good, especially for music and stuff. Right. But uh, comedy and poetry and stuff is usually mostly in like Nokseopyeong, Hebongcheong, and Itaewon area there. I mean, I think that's really the interesting thing. It's like if you have a job that doesn't really challenge you mentally, it doesn't really stimulate you intellectually, right? And then you have this free time left over, and like you said, Wolford. How do you spend that free time, right? And a lot of expats, according to what you're saying here, is that a lot of expats are taking this kind of free time, taking this kind of reserved mental capacity to express themselves in creative ways, whether it's through poetry mm-hmm. or comedy. And you, you've done comedy, right? Yeah. yeah. And you've done poetry. Not really. Not really. No. You've done... Well, I've, I've done stand-up comedy, uh, some music, um, some acting, and improv... Um, and yeah. you get paid pretty well from your English teaching job. It's not a bad pay, and you sure. know, cost of living is cheap. And then, so I guess like for a lot of people who do want to kind of like explore their creative abilities, Korea is not a, a bad place to come. 
Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, this there's a lot of great things about teaching here as well because uh, a lot of people too when they are starting as comedians here, uh, they get a lot of material from their experiences sharing stories about teaching English here. You know, it's a lot of observational things that you have to do as a comedian or as a poet or as uh, as any type of creative person. It's about observing the life externally, taking it internally, and then reinterpreting it again. You know, through a medium and. Uh, Teaching English is a great way to get insight into the minds of younger people in Korea, or even older, depending on whatever age group you teach. And um, I think it, it can still help, you know, fuel that for a lot of expats here. How did you get into gaming? Like uh, you said, you know, you worked at Nexon for a little bit. How did that start? Uh, well, first was I was uh, I studied animation, hmm. and after I graduated, I had a really hard time finding some jobs. And then I decided to just come over here to teach English at least. And I mean, f for myself, drawing is it's just a basic necessity in everyday life. Mm. You know, um, I, I'm probably going to still do it regardless of whatever my job is. Mm. It's just as simple as taking a shower or brushing my teeth. And um, wow. it's it, it was really good because it was ingrained in me because of, of every day I was just drawing. That was my, my great escapism or whatever it was. And um, I know I loved games and everything, and I had the opportunity. Like I was teaching uh, schools here. I was teaching them from kindergarten to seniors, and then from school to school, I got a chance to help this one guy make uh, a kindergarten down south, like near Bomge area. Wow! And then I was responsible for making the the uh, extracurriculum books for English, and I I drew all the the, the cartoons mm. and the images for it. So I made a workbook for them and like an art course for them. And then at that moment, I had a great opportunity to um, work in Nexon because I had a friend that was working there. Mm. And then he just said, work on your portfolio. And I just tried to make more new things. And then that was kind of like my first step in there. And I decided at that point, I was like, I, I don't really want to teach anymore because I finally had this opportunity to kind of work someone inside the... Mm you know, the, the realms of what I was wanted to get into. So tell me, what was that experience like working in a Korean gaming company? I mean, Nexon is as big as they come. It's the biggest company, biggest Korean company. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't really know what to expect because I never worked in a kind of game company or animation company before. Uh, obviously, it's totally different from teaching English. Uh, kind of just very quiet, you know, people were mostly to themselves and... The stuff that we talk on the podcast, I, I kind of witnessed it a lot in terms of how they create a product, uh, not necessarily creative, creatively, creatively, but like more uh, systematically. Hmm. They try to find these particular methods. Like I remember one time we were trying to make a game and they just kind of wrote down all these genres of, of types of games. And then they would get everyone in the office, choose what type of genre are you interested in. Hmm. And then you, they would write down a bunch of titles and then choose what title you think would work and stuff like that. And Why do you think Korean games have such shitty stories? It's, it's just because of the method of how it's, it's been... It's just the method of how they, they work on it. You know, like, it's the last piece that they sometimes don't even work on. So the story is not what drives the content. Yeah. You have, you've already kind of figured out the genre of what you're trying to make. Sure. You've already tried. You've already filled out like the outline, and then the last piece is how do we stick a story on top of this? Yeah, it's just a, it's just, it's just based on a lot of variables. They just do a lot of things on variables and like 
what's the most likely chance of doing success? Like, if you want to make this type of SNS game. Stop, wait one second. So, one thing I think you're going to get better at after you go to Canada yeah. is your English. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm terrible right now. You just said. <laughs> You just said doing success. Doing success. Yeah. You don't understand. Like I have these concerns back home. <laughs> is I've sacrificed so much of my English here that it's really, really scaring me. <laughs> and when I go back home, there's going to be situations where I'm talking to my friends and they're like, "Hey, you want to go to the club?" I'm like, "Yeah," and I'm going to be saying Congolese shit. Yeah. Just like, "Yeah, son." Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, well, I think one saying? of the best Congolese is like the way Koreans use sex as a verb. So instead of saying like they had sex, they're like they sexed. Yeah, or sex. I'm going to sex you or something yeah. like that. Even like, the small things, like I drop a pencil and I say aigu or whatever. Yeah. Anyways, kind of like what, the, what were you talking about again? Sorry. Uh, just the game industry, about how they're structuring things. Yeah. And it's just based on variables. They just, if you make this type of game, this has a 60% chance of doing well. And then what if we apply this genre to it, zombies? Oh, and now it adds 15 more percent to it. And it just becomes way too methodical. That mm. by the time you actually start working on the game, it's just like you're not really excited. At least that's how I felt. But so, how do you think the how do you think people should make games? I, th- uh, I mean, you know, one thing is that because the Korean gaming market is so based on mobile, yeah, because they don't really have a console, and like PC for them for Korea, PC games is about fighting each other. Right? It's not about experiencing something together or on your own. Mm-hmm. PC gaming is about, it's a communal thing. You go with your homies to a PC bank, and you go and beat on each other on StarCraft or whatever game there might be. And so PC gaming is a communal thing, and it should be PvP. Yeah. Whereas in the West, you have more of a you know, console player. It's more of a single-player mind, and so it's, you know a lot of PC games are also single-player. But I mean, like every... How can I explain this? It's... It's not the boat you take, <laughs> you know. Like it's it's always a different vessel, a different type of vehicle that you've, you know, you, you take it to a certain destination to it. And you know, of course, there's limitations to to each one. But at the time, I was working on a SNS game, which was like a social network uh, game, and it wasn't a true uh, multiplayer game. And by that, it was like you're playing with other people, but it was just NPCs. But Compared to now, like you are legitimately playing with other people within the same game, mm. which is which was a huge difference because at that time I was like, why are we going to do this where it's not even you're not really playing with the players? Like it doesn't, it's kind of false. It feels very weird. What was the name of your game? It was we never we never made it, but it was called uh, Handy Hero. Nice. And it was kind of like Hyper Universe in a way. Right. Yeah, it was like multi-tiered, <laughs> and then each level, you know, you're trying to collect heroes, and then the next one you get new levels and new bases and stuff like that. But I remember at the time we had a meeting, a group meeting with uh, all the the uh, employees at Nixon Mobile, and the the big boss was there, and he was just saying it's just not fun. So like you just close it down, and then, like after a year, you're just like fuck, like what do we do? You have all this work and you can't share it because it's, you know, you have like an NDA or yeah. you have a contract. So, so um, let's take a little break. Um, yeah, we'll be right back. Okay. We are back. What's up? Uh, so, you know, Wolfrey was telling us about, well, the first part of our conversation was about, you know, the, the, the strive to kind of like the, the struggle to for expat people in Korea to express their creativity and um, not really struggle but like you know how what kind of outlets do you have to express that creativity mm-hmm. and then we were talking about Nexus time I mean Wolfram's time at Nexon one of the biggest gaming companies in the world um, and just kind of their creative process and so 
I guess the first question I want to ask you is, do you see like a contrast between like Korean creativity and Western creativity? Because you have obviously been part of both, right? As a stand-up comic with the expats community here, and then the game creation process in the Korean corporate industry here. What contrasts do you see? Hard question. I think, no, I'm really feeling it because I think Koreans are trying to reason out with logic um, an emotional response. Hmm. You know, uh, Westerners, they try to find the true essence of whatever this idea they have and ex- structure it in a, in a program or in a game, this specific emotion that you want out of it. Hmm. And sometimes Korean gaming industry, they tend to, yeah, just dissect it. And they say, from this and this, it should be about this, this hmm. amount. Hmm. And like we said before in other conversations, you know, dramas do really well. But it's just that it doesn't really correlate with the industry here because I just think there's a divide with uh, lack of writers, maybe. Well, here's the thing. Korean dramas and also the K-pop industry, it's like they have a formula. Just like, you know, the formula you're talking about for Korean tech game. They have a formula, but they figured it out. It's Mm -hmm. like, we need this much melodrama. Mm -hmm. We need this this girl to be in this sort of family situation. We Mm -hmm. need this rich guy to have this type of car. And then they just kind of mix and match, and then we'll take this actress and this actor, and we'll make something. Right. Yeah. Same with K-pop. I mean, even there, it's, there it's even more formulaic. It's like you got, you know, this type of sex appeal that you want to hit. You want to have this type of catchy tune that has this type of refrain, mm-hmm. and you just kind of add them all up together, and then you're going to have a song that's guaranteed to stick in your head, yeah. or at least something to ogle at, right? Yeah. And I, and again, it's it's all formulaic, mm. right? Like they're just restructuring everything to kind of mm. <laughs> dissect each emotional part that you're supposed to trigger. Mm. Um, yeah, but I think for gaming in Korea, how they make it, I, it, it kind of feels like they've structured in a way that suits the education system for students here. Hmm. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a grinding method, and I think Korean teenagers are really good because that's how they approach the education system here. Hmm. Like, uh, I had a, my wife's uh, brother, he was playing a game, I was asking what it was like, he's like, it's not really a game. He just lets it play, and he just watches it. Hmm. And I was just thinking, like, that's such a disconnect, you know, and there's a never-ending story to it. So, but yeah. I think because of the community aspect, that's why they usually stick with it and the amount of hours invested into it. It's, it would be such a waste. Can you imagine if Facebook closes tomorrow? Like, it would be a lot of devastation because people put years of photos and everything. It'd be really hard to kind of stop a lot of people for quitting Facebook to try another platform because mm. so much years of, of emotional investment of your images and things you like and a huge database of that. It's the same thing kind of like with the, the gaming industry in that respect. So. What do you mean? Like, so like if, you've, if you quit, you're kind of so... You've invested just so, so much, much into it. Yeah, that it's, it's really hard to get out of it. It's just like a relationship. Mm. You know, like you're with a person for like s- s- five years or whatever and then you realize oh, the longer you stay in it, the harder it is to get out because you invested so much. Like this person knows so much about you and when you leave, you're not going to take 100% of yourself when you leave that relationship. It's going to be give and take. Some of it's going to be taken with them and vice versa. So, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with, I mean, the education system, I think is a good point. I think another thing is like, just this kind of the fear you just they're very risk averse so it's like you know the first question that comes into their mind is like how can we make sure that we don't screw up horribly right Mm -hmm. and the second thing is you know how can we make money or maybe those 
those maybe they can be reversed in priority but it's just like everything is about the bottom line right when they're going into this game creation so even if they had like some really creative ideas it's like will this make money or will this not make money and it just kind of stifles any sort of like potential ideas that could be really interesting ideas and um I don't know. I don't know how you get around something like that. The Korean industry, gaming industry right now, there's just so many companies out here all trying to make it, all trying to struggle, and um, all going through the struggle. And I don't know. It's yeah. I, I mean, when I think of, like, interesting games, have you ever heard of the game called Sword and Sorcery? Oh, uh, yes, so, I have. Sword yeah. and Sorcery, right? Sorcery, right. yeah. It's so, uh, $4.99, right? Mm-hmm. It was a paid game. It was Pixel art. Yeah. I love that game. It's an amazing game. 2012 I mean, Game of the Year. Yeah, and that was kind of around the era where the games that you see now wasn't necessarily there. And it's still really unique, and uh, I was a really big fan of it because uh, Jim Guthrie, he was the composer to it. Uh, The music is stellar in that game, It's because of the music. Like, the game was structured around the music. And um, that was actually produced in Toronto. And I had a friend of mine, he worked in that company. And... At that same time, I was working in Nixon. Nixon, right? And I was showing these guys this game. Like, guys, this is like super innovative. It's like, so crazy because at that same time, I was also at Gameville. Yeah. And I was showing them Sword and Sorcery as well. Yeah. It's like you have this game here that actually ca- forces you to put on headphones. Yeah. And it forces you to just go through all the storylines. Whereas every Korean game is just you skip the story, skip the story, right? Right. And it was like hugely innovative in terms of interaction with the with the game itself. And you had then to turn sound. the device to fight right? sure yeah yeah went from this mode to portrait mode to start using your sword and things like that and and that was kind of like the high aesthetic of bringing back retro pixelation games because of that game because the artwork in it was really good despite it being like a like a pixelated game Mm. and um the music was awesome and i remember reading interviews about jim guthrie talking about like he would just make songs and then they would figure out ways what's the best way to implement this whether it's like walking a passage from point a to point b or this triggers a particular That is response. so crazy. So they made the song before they made the game. Yeah. Is what you're saying, right? They yeah. made a song and they're like, okay, this song sounds amazing. How can I get a game mechanism or mode to fit into this song? Right. That's fucking so cool. And if you look at the titles, it'll say Jim Guthrie's name is on the on the front. Right. You know, he's like right in there. And another person that you would see that would do the same thing, who kind of pioneered a lot, was Hideo Kojima. Mm. You know, he was in PlayStation 1 once he started you know, interpreting Metal Gear Solid in a 3D platform, he was the guy who really kind of also pioneered true cinematics, you know? If you look at that game now, it's really shit because, like, the polygons are, Mm. you know, it's very distorted. But at the time, he had a a really strong, uh, unique aesthetic to what he was doing. He had, like, legit music. I forget the the composer's name, Henry Williamson or something. Like, he did music for, like, uh, the, The Rock, you know, like, a lot of... Michael Bay films and stuff. Mm. And it was epic and it had a long storyline. And when people play a Hideo Kojima game, they stay there to listen to the entire story because those cutscenes are like 20 minutes long. Mm. You know? And I f- when you see the new trailers for Death Stranding, it doesn't show any gameplay at all. Mm. shows high concepts, a lot of like really, really deep symbolism mm. ingrained that it's, it's so much it's intertwined into his own personal life and his own... Mm. Um, problems with Konami and everything yeah. that they they see so much into it that they invest so much into Hideo Kojima that they say wow like anything he does they really want to know more about him in order to figure out what is this game truly about so like what we're kind of talking about here is like you are starting with 
not like a macro level view of how you want everything to fit and then trying to get things to fit in there it's like you start with one precious beautiful element and then you design something around that yeah yeah that that sounds like that sounds like it would be awesome i don't know how often we get to see that you know mobile mark mobile games were supposed to be kind of the avenue for them mm-hmm. because it's just supposed to be like you don't need triple a you don't need a triple a studio to make these games um everything gets distributed like on their own you don't need to like package things into cds and sell them the itunes will do it for you google play will do it for you but i don't know like it's like you see the same things over and over again especially in korea and it just makes you wonder like you know they're like saying okay here is the genre that we're trying to fit action rpg but hey we have a little twist where ours is a match three or ours is it's like they take something that's already there it's just it's just cookie cutter stuff on top of other cookie cutter stuff right? yeah and it's just oversaturated but the problem too is um references you know like if you if you're just referencing the 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 niche the lake that you're living in like you're gonna be no one's gonna notice you at all like if you have a really uh strong or distinct references that's out of this entire genre without outside of the gaming industry and you apply it in it looks really new it looks really innovating or innovative or whatever innovative right and you really see that has a special you know component that really makes it stand out from everything else I don't get what you just said. Well, okay, sword and sword and sorcery. Huh. It would it, it did awesome because it took all these elements from classic games had it had a nostalgia factor. Okay, so what we're talking about is like, if uh, if you are going to take stuff from other games or other genres, right? Let's go to something that has a rich, storied, yeah, beautiful, complex history. And sometimes don't even take references from other games. Like take references from things outside of gaming, mythology, yeah, politics, I yeah. Don't know. Same, I mean, like, like Kojima does that really well. Like, there's a, a, a punk band I remember listening to called At The Drive-In. I don't, do you know At The Drive-In? I do not know. If you guys know about this, check out At The Drive-In. Their first album was amazing. And then I remember reading an interview, and they're like, so what, is, what are your influences? And they would say, uh, the, the Pantheon, uh, you know, like, oh, nothing music-related at all. Mm. Uh, like, architecture. And they're like punk music, and their words were completely cryptic, and their music was completely insane. But you could really feel like these guys are in a completely different zone of themselves. Like it almost felt like a different genre itself. Right. And I think that's what people like Kojima are trying to do. They're trying to transcend every single thing that they're doing. It's right. it's more than just a game for them. So that's and cool. that's, that's where you can really see the art form really take out or really show itself take within place. a game. Yeah. Cool. Oh, that was crazy. Um. So yeah, man. You didn't really answer your question, though. My question, my original question. <laughs> What's the original what question? is Korea to you? Uh, Korea is... Wow, well, I don't know what that means, though. What is Korea to me? Hmm. It's something you're leaving, right? I mean, Korea is just every... Th- yeah, how can I say? What's this phrase? Uh, Korea was... I was a, I was a sheep, but Korea was... was Turned me into the lion. Does that you ever heard that proverb before? No, you were a sheep, and Korea turned you into a lion. Something like that. There was a, there's a specific proverb for that, but um, I'm definitely not the person that I was ten years ago. Okay, you, yeah. So you went from being a 23 year old into like a man. But in the span of uh, ten years, I've tried so many different things here. Jujitsu. Yeah, yeah. jujitsu as well. Comedy, art, game design. Yeah, I I just think uh, in terms of 
me being a, a creative person, whatever that means, is uh, the number one thing is you have to be uh, completely, uh, you know, ob- you have to observe everything around you and you have to really immerse yourself in true experiences. And then that's where you get some really valuable insight, whether it's other people or environments, or but most importantly about yourself and how you can reinterpret that into something very unique, you know, hmm. whatever, whatever meeting it is. So Korea was kind of like a place for you to experience all these experiences yeah yeah absolutely Mm. and i mean there's still a lot of slack especially with like expats or like facebook and oink and stuff but it's still an an amazing place here you know like yeah there's there is a lot of innovation maybe not necessarily in the game industry but just in um like everyday life like even if it's as simple as um cutting your food with scissors you know like when i first saw that i was like holy shit that's that's genius you know like small things like that are taken for granted people not cut their food with scissors in the states or in in the west have you have you seen that in in the states no i don't think so you're right yeah Yeah. like when i first came i was like like at a restaurant people actually brandish like take out scissors and start cutting their meat yeah i mean it's just small things like create innovation yo yeah i mean that's that's the kind of shit that you see like oh i totally want to do that when i go back so, but I mean, yeah, Korea was just everything. I've I've uh, definitely learned a lot about myself. Met your wife here. Yeah, met my wife here. And I think that's a really important aspect. That's the one true thing I can <laughs> take with me back home. Yeah. Um, I don't really feel like I'm starting over. It's more like I'm just another chapter. Yeah. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that because how I tuned to moving back to Canada, it's kind of like uh, you're living in a Christopher Nolan film. Hmm. You know, um, you spend your life in Korea, which you thought was just months, but ends up turning into years. Very, you know, I say I, I say this too. I always say like living in Korea is kind of like uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Lion in the Wardrobe. Like, yeah. You know, when yeah, the, yeah. The, that little whatever brother or sister set, they go into the wardrobe and then they're, they're like they become kings and queens and shit. Mm-hmm. And they come back and it's just like only a week mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, and it's just like in, like interstellar, right? Like he comes back and then it's like, oh my god, my. My daughter has like a whole family there, but I think that's one of the hardest reasons why it, um, expats stay, uh, can't leave. You know. So are you afraid of this kind of not if it's not a culture shock, but kind of like this time shock? Like... No, because I mean maybe no, no, not at all. Because what if anything that art taught me, especially when I'm trying to get rid of a lot of things at my house, is um, the most important things is usually the stuff that that's not materialistic you just all that experience that you can gather when uh, you can gather with to bring it back home hmm. and uh yeah that kind of stuff is is definitely more important so i'm not i'm not too scared about that kind of stuff uh art i i, I just drew so much shit here over the years that it's really important to be creative and be an outlet but not everything is is, is uh, precious and it's really important to kind of destroy a lot of things that you create because um, I've I remember I used to teach art classes here and then I just draw this you know as an example of a, of a person and they're like wow that's amazing and then I would just immediately just rip it up in front of them and they're like what are you doing and I'm like life, man. 
I was like, this, this is a really important thing that you should do. I used to teach them a lot. Like, I would tell them, okay, take 10 minutes to draw this. And then they would really work on it. And I'm like, okay, now rip it up. <laughs> and wow. then they would be like, what? And I would just say, this is like the most important thing you're ever going to learn is that you really have to let go. And it's you trusting yourself that you're always going to make something even better. That is fucking deep, man. Yeah. I did not know you had this. In- I mean, like, of course, you, I've always knew you were a creative guy, but this is like savage stuff. Yeah, I mean, but I'm like, you can take a picture before you rip it. Like, that's that's fine. But, um, you know, caricature taught me that, too. It's like everything that I'm giving away is just temporary. It's a service for other people. But there's something that's not good for anyone else. And uh, you just you just got to destroy. You just got to move on. Like, think about your computer. You have five years of trips that you've taken pictures. Can you imagine just losing that stuff? I have. I've lost like so much shit on my computer. Devastating at first, but then I just move on. Like, just have to find something else to do. And in the most important things is going to stick with you, and that's your ability to just to create and be innovative that way. It really forces you to to adapt really well. That's cool. Yeah. Can we? I mean, you're leaving. You know, um, you'll be back in Canada in January ish, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. We will yeah. keep in touch, right? Yeah, absolutely. We should do this every once in a while. You can t- report back from the frozen tundra of Canada or something. Yeah, and uh, I, I should really say here that, you know, I'm really grateful for, for Dan and uh, everyone here for giving me an opportunity to work here because um, this uh, this company and Gangnam Gamers, what it represents, is really, really interesting. Like, uh, I think people are really uh, starting to get what it is and so are we in a way but um, it's a really important aspect to kind of show uh, another insight of what expats can do and give you guys mm. all a unique perspective on what it's like through a multicultural you know, you know one thing I would like to add to that is like working in Korea now for about six seven years I've gotten a chance to meet a lot of people from the expat community and I don't know why you guys well, I don't know why we all came to Korea we all came for different reasons whatever but it's just there's so much untapped talent here and Honestly speaking, I take advantage of it. It's just like there's so many talented people yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. Let's give them opportunities, and we can work together and come up with something great. And it's been totally a lot of fun. And you guys, uh, you guys, if you're bored with your job or if you're bored with your life <laughs> here, like there are other opportunities there. You guys need to go seek them out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always for the better. Just make yourself grow. So yeah, so uh, thank you to to Dan for this, and I'm really grateful and happy to meet everyone here as well. Like uh, the future of Kingdom Gamers is going to be super interesting because there's so many other creative people that you've seen in front of the camera, even behind it as well. And there's a lot of opportunities here, and it's really about how we interpret it, and that's going to give you guys a really interesting perspective into what uh, career can really be like. Cool. I mean, we're not on camera, so you can't see me blushing right now. But thank you for the thank you. Oh, you see, <laughs> and, so good. Though. And. Um, yeah, of course. Thanks to you as well. Um, let's wrap it up here before we start crying. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll edit that in later. Yeah. So. All right, guys. So that's it. Um, goodbye, Wolfred. And we All will right. see you again. Take care, guys. Later, guys.